0: Good evening fans, Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam, and you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by codewrightplay.com Woo-boom-shakalaka! My mom gave birth in 1985, I was bluer than a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris, I played Rampart, when Reagan rampaged the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my section... Hey everybody, Todd Mitchell here, welcome back to Game Dev Breakdown. Tonight... We're going to talk about a conversation I had on Twitter. I promise this is not about an argument this time. We're gonna we're gonna talk about some valuable um, things. I hope will be valuable to you. Uh, questions that have come up in conversation with some friends on Twitter that uh, I think career focused individuals like yourselves and uh, creative people and people who have the potential to work remotely. Uh, I I think we have some things that you might want to reflect on with us or possibly discuss yourself. So this whole thing is I was on Twitter uh, today, and a friend of mine uh, put out sort of a question to people who consider themselves freelancers, and I'm going to factor in people who do any kind of remote work, whether it's part-time, full-time, anything like that, because a lot of times these jobs look very similar. So people who work from like a home office uh, do technology, game development, you name it. And his question was, what is your policy on phone calls? And that's a little bit broad, but uh, I think the situation in his case was he was getting uh, work from somebody who wanted to sort of monopolize his time on phone calls. And it sounded like, he wasn't really comfortable doing business over the phone in the first place. And I I, I think there could be a few viable reasons for that. Um, some of them just comfort related. Some people are not comfortable on the phone, which I get. Uh, however, when you're on a phone call, it's, it's complicated because for one thing, a lot of what gets said just vanishes into thin air. You know, people are hopefully listening to one another, but... It's not the same as an email conversation, IM, stuff you can go back and read, look at, uh, synthesize into your notes and, and uh, reduce down to action points, stuff like that. It's, it's weird because in business, everybody traditionally, especially older uh, people, want to be on the phone all the time. And that is the least effective way to do business. It's not as good as being in person. <laughs> it's not as good as an email, an IM mail me a damn letter that's all better than getting on the phone this this goes outside business as well i I've, I've been a married guy for a while now and my wife and i don't even really talk on the phone uh almost never it's, it's probably happened less than 20 times and uh we've been married since 2012 so <laughs> you do the math but it's just it's not an effective way to communicate uh if you don't have to and in business you almost never have to be on the phone so His question was, freelancers, what is your policy on uh, phone calls? And what I told him was, I tend to work with clients. And and let me qualify this by saying I've been an Upwork freelancer uh, in the past. I have done independent freelancing, just client work. I've done uh, full-time work for an employer remotely. So I've done almost every kind of uh, work from home you can think of. And I I do my own sort of independent work from home now. So I'm going to draw from those experiences to give you the best advice I can on these things. And what I told him was the kind of clients I tend to work with because I'm pretty selective and that's not a brag. It's just it's it's me trying to anticipate issues and being very choosy with anybody who throws up any red flags like you do not want to be stuck with people you're on the fence about. That's number one. If somebody seems like they're going to be a pain in the ass to work with, they will be even worse than you think. Because people you're excited about working with, this doesn't mean they're bad people, but you'll run into horrible, unforeseen issues and things will will make it difficult to do that work. So the types of clients I go for are usually people who uh, know what they're doing. It's not like experimental work. And they're people who are very motivated, like they want to do this because they've got the next thing already lined up to do and they need whoever knows what they're doing, wants to get it done and wants to get paid. That's exactly who I want. And that's who you should want. That's the kind of project to look for. So as a result of choosing these kind of clients, the last thing they want is to be tied up on a phone call with me. It, it almost never happens. And if it did, if I got a needy client who wanted to be on the phone all the time, I would have to tell them, because of the nature of my work, I'm not able to commit to participating in conference calls or meeting on the phone on any regular basis. I just can't do that because of, you know, you're not my only client or, you know, there are nice ways to say this. So put on your nice customer service voice, but say, you know, unfortunately, due to the nature of my work and the nature of my uh, multiple freelance projects, I'm not able to participate in conference calls. Things like that. And the people involved in the Twitter conversation at this point sort of said, like, you know, that's that's nice and that's a good idea. But, you know, we, we get clients where they say, well, in an emergency, we we still need to make sure we can get you on the phone. OK, well, <laughs> what I said to that was and I'm happy to report none of this was argumentative this time We had a great talk like this is the kind of stuff I love doing is like breaking stuff down like this and uh, sort of sharing ideas and seeing what other people's strategies are. This was a great talk. But people heard me say this and they said, um, you know, we we, we get those clients who who want to have that emergency phone call option. I said, I agree. Those those people are out there. The problem is those are the exact same people who will abuse this. And turn this into, like, we need a Monday stand-up or a Monday, Wednesday, Friday stand-up from 3 to 4.30. And we need to make sure you're on every time. I tell those clients no. I absolutely do. I promise I, I will tell those clients, like, the, the problem is there is no emergency that requires a programmer, a writer, an artist. Uh, the, the kind of things that we're talking about here, there is no emergency for that situation. Now, maybe you're working within a structure where they've got a manager of, um, you know, the art department or a director of this or that. Uh, They can bring on somebody whose job it's going to be to chat with them on a regular basis daily if they want, whatever uh, that may be. And that person can check in with you, but it needs to be over email. There's nothing you can't do over email. There's really not. There, there, (laughs) there uh, There is no benefit to having... Voices say the things and then losing all that information after a phone call. You can't, you can't compose notes based on, on whatever. A lot of what's said just evaporates and it's gone there. There are really no benefits to being on the phone instead of I am, for example, somebody brought up instant messaging. That's great. Uh, start a Slack server, discord, whatever uh, you got options, but phone never really has to be one of them. And, and again, this, uh, the the person in question here was uncomfortable being on the phone, really in any situation, and I told him it would just it would be really easy uh, because you should make the decision on this. This is up to you. It shouldn't be a big deal to say, you know, I'm I'm just not able to do that because I had this other problem client, and and it it became an issue, and so I've had to tell everybody I've just got I've got this policy of. Uh, you know, I, I can't participate in phone calls about this stuff and sit on the phone. Like I, I'm going to get your stuff done faster this way. And, uh, if, if people want to be sort of hard asses about this, you can kind of fire right back at them. If you signed a contract, go back and look at it. I'm guessing it didn't say anything about phone calls. That would be my guess. Um, They could make a case that they have a reasonable expectation that you would hop on the phone and you could just say, no, you don't. What are they going to do? Are they going to take you to court over this? I mean, if they threaten a lawsuit about this, you can reassess. But if you're making good efforts to communicate, and I'm going to talk in a minute about ways to sort of make life easier for you and your clients doing remote work. But the, the thing is, if you really have to take a hard line with them, Explain to them that being on the phone all the time is consultation. It's not contracting. If if they want to talk about consulting fees, then maybe you can modify your contract, and then you can decide if you want to participate in that or not. Or you can just say, you know, consulting is something I don't offer. I, I need clients who need specific things. I need to do those things for them. We need to move on. But ultimately, I, I told him, it's your decision you don't. You don't have to be on the phone with somebody. I mean, you may have clients that are surprised by that, but the truth is, being on the phone is an emotional thing. It's not a technical thing. It's not a productive thing. Over the possibility that you can do this stuff via email or via IM, uh, it's just it's it's so I can get you on the phone so you can reassure me. I don't have time for that. I really don't. I've I've had to fight with people about this before, like. I hold this stance on other topics, too. Like somebody was talking about, well, when you're freelancing and you're having them do your code review, what are you talking about? Code review. I would never take a client who wants to, like, go over my code line by line. I want you to come see if I've done the thing and we're going to move on. That was controversial during that conversation. But like, oh, oh, you can't you can't just get by on not, you know, not doing uh, step by step reviews of what you're doing, all this stuff like software either works or it doesn't, you know? It's, uh, uh, this is, this is fanfare to me and I'm not into that. So anyway, at the end of this conversation, my friend said, yeah, these, these things are all great. You guys are right. Cool strategies. And he goes, I need to, he said, I, I have a problem where I need to set office hours and sort of set up boundaries with this employer. And I said, ah, now we're starting to make sense. Now we're getting into like some of the problems with freelancing and I I want to go through I want to start by going through why freelancing is so weird. And then how to sort of make it better on your end, uh the client's end and how to make it a happier experience. So let's go through these things. Here let's let's start with why freelancing is such a weird experience. Okay, so there's this giant inconsistency with remote work. And and it's this. Employers, particularly older employers older than myself. I'm 34. I would say anyone like 40 or above has like a knee-jerk reaction to the idea of people working remotely. Most times, some, some employers are fantastic about this, but, uh, the truth is in, in most fields where this is even possible, employers do not want to let you work from home because they, they, they can't get over the idea that you're home in your boxers and you're screwing around. You know, you're, you're watching TV, you're hanging out with friends or or not even at home. You're out doing whatever you want instead of working. And you would think like once I start doing this job and you see the results I'm getting and you see how productive I am and how much happier everyone is, because, you know, there's this flexibility and stuff, then you'll know uh, that that this is a viable way to do business. And then it'll be great. The problem is that they try that. They get this data back. They can look at studies. They can look at anything, and they still don't believe it. And I know this sounds crazy, but like some of you will know, will recognize this to be true. They will see it and they won't believe it. And and the proof is in the the sort of programs that different companies have about working from home. Like uh, for example, one of my old jobs before going indie again was. Uh, I had a contract manager who was able to work from home like two days a week. So, I mean, you would have to tell me what could happen on Monday and Thursday that isn't the same on Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday. You know what I mean? Like if he's able to do this job two days a week, you need to face the fact that he could do this from home. We're either all adults or we're not. We can either we're either capable of this or we are not. so. To, and it's worse in my wife's case. My wife, surprisingly enough, is able to do some of her job from home. They've sent her home with equipment to do that. And they let her do it like one time per month. And I think they even refer to it as a test. Like testing the, the work from home equipment. What are, what are we testing for? We know it works. We know she's able to do it. Why can't she do it? She's either capable. Like it either works or it does not work. The truth is somebody in a suit gets really uncomfortable at the idea of these people working from home, and that makes no sense whatsoever. So as a result of that, (laughs) let me go back for a second, because I I said that it's usually proven that uh, work-from-home employees are just as effective, if not more so. I did know one guy in my career, to their credit, (laughs) <laughs> to the credit of the haters of remote work, um, I worked with a guy who was like a lead developer. Uh, he's one of these guys who's been around the game forever. He's super critical to uh, his employer. He He's the guy who knows everything. And if he gets hit by a bus, everyone's screwed. This guy started basically flaking out around the time I got hired. I do a completely different job. We didn't really have intersecting responsibilities, but this guy started to open up to me fast because he knew I was going to notice some of the stuff he was sort of getting away with. This is a strange guy, Uh, but he, he, uh, he would go home and stay home for like days on end because he, he said, well, my girlfriend who didn't used to live with me, but now she does live with me. She's got these two dogs and they can't be left alone. And I thought, what a terrible, what a terrible excuse to like long term get off work. So he would do this like several several days each week, and eventually I kind of asked him like, "What what is this leading to for you? Like what? How is this situation going to right itself? Because you know they're not going to go for this long term." And he's like, "Well, that's kind of where you come in." <laughs> and I said, uh, "Yeah, go on." <laughs> and he goes, I, "He goes, I, I know they're not going to go for this forever, but there's no reason I shouldn't be able to work from home." I said, okay. he says to me, I'm basically going to keep doing this. And if they mention anything about firing or replacing me, I need you to warn me. And I said, uh, you trust me an awful lot for someone who's kind of flaking on work around here. And he goes, yeah, I just I just need you to warn me. I'll come back. We'll work it out. And I said, uh, "Okay." And this went on for months, I think. I think it went on for months. And one one day, the uh, VP of technology walked back to my desk and he's like, hey, uh, I just wanted to let you know we fired that guy today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, then. And so the, the guy with the dogs uh, has much more time to uh, take care of them now because he's fired. And it's like, I don't know why he thought they were going to warn me or consult me. had nothing to do with me. So that was one time the work from home thing kind of blew up (laughs) anyway. So because of this weird perception we have about remote work, if you get the opportunity to work remotely, you're going to have to kind of divide your time between doing the job, which should be enough. No question. It should be enough. But you have to divide time between doing the job and making people more comfortable. And I I don't like this either. Like you'll you'll hear that and you'll think oh, that's weird. It is weird and it's stupid. But you have to you have to spend time playing the game, and the way to do that is to convince management that this is right for you and you're the right person to trust to do this. So things like perception is everything, and there are things you can do to uh, help your your perception while freelancing or remote working. So one thing I found really effective was uh, invite your client or invite the person you're working with to like a Trello board and like keep it up to date. Every day, move the cards across the different columns. If you're not familiar with uh, Trello, I've written about it on (laughs) codewriteplay.com the time I did. I said something about liking Microsoft Azure's uh, developer dashboard, which you could use with Trello boards. And somebody... Somebody commented on that on Twitter and said that I was being paid by the people who run Trello. And, uh, I, I, <laughs> there's my rant for this time. Like, I blew, I blew up at that guy because I didn't appreciate it that I was being accused of, he, he said that I was accepting pay to write blog posts on my site. And I didn't appreciate having actually turned those deals down, which I have. Several times people have come to me and said, would you like to write about the following thing? Uh, we'll pay you a certain amount. You just don't tell anybody we paid you. And every time I tell them no. Like, it's not, we don't discuss it. It's not a conversation. I say, that's not what this site is for. So no. Okay. So, so I have the, I, it's basically lose lose for me at that point because I tell, I turn down the money offers and then I have someone accuse me of taking the money anyway. So I'm like, you know, I'll be damned if I'm going to give up my reputation. <laughs> Because you, a person who knows absolutely nothing about me or what I do, has decided that I couldn't possibly actually like these things. Uh, I'm accepting money. Okay, anyway. So I'll say this. Any task board will do. I'm just telling you to invite someone to a task board you can collaborate on. Uh, That way they can... See see the progress. They can ask questions about stuff. They don't have to bother you for status. And if they bother you for status, direct them right back to the board. Let them know, like, that is on the board. You can see that. You can see what's next. And if you have any questions about that, let me know. Okay, so stuff like that is great. Um, send updates without being bothered about it. Because people, it's it's usually tough to hire a freelancer. In almost any situation, you're, like, taking a gamble. And it's stressful. Like if you've ever been on the other end of that, if you haven't, maybe one day you will, it's stressful to go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hire this person either from like word of mouth or I found you online and I'm going to pay you money. Part of my budget that, you know, it's, it's a risk. If you don't do it, I got to figure something else out. And now I have less money to use to do it. Send people updates, assure them that the project is moving. If anything's going on, be very upfront about it because you, you know, you you can't create time out of thin air. So that person needs to know what's going on. So update people without being asked, show off everything you can. This is not bragging. Uh, Don't think of it as like marketing. Think of it as just making your client more comfortable. Let them know every good thing you've done. Show, show off anything you can, even if you, even if to you, it seems like this isn't ready to show, show progress. People want to see progress. That, makes a big difference. And then uh, also track your own metrics. Keep track of how you spend your time. There are good tools for this available. Uh, you can find um, web-based tools, downloadable tools, apps on your phone. I, I try to always have something. If I'm working for a client, especially if I'm billing hourly, which I highly recommend, I, I will definitely have something tracking that data and I will show them the result of the tool. Like I will not just like send them an invoice. I will show them reports on everything and, and that'll be that. Then there's no question. And I mean, yes, I, you could fake reports and clients should be wary of that. But if you send them a report combined with the results of the work and you got the work done, you're golden. That's great. So that that's all kind of to help ease the mind of the person who's hiring you. I want to take just a few minutes to talk about making the experience good for you because Freelancing is awesome. Remote work is awesome. I would hope never to go back to uh, working in a cubicle anywhere. Uh, I know not everybody gets that option, so I'm, I'm sympathetic for sure. But if you get the chance, give yourself the best experience possible. A lot of that has to do with boundaries. So, I mean, you're, you're working where you live. You're working where you relax. The, the one downside of this is like, there's no place you go after a, a full day of working in your house. You're home. You're in your house. That's where you have to unwind. It's very easy to let the job spill into just every hour, every waking minute of the day. But you have to set up your own hours and and they don't need to be dictated to you by the client. That's none of their business. If you're getting the job done, great. If you're not available for phone calls, it doesn't matter when you do your work. You know, if they send you an email and you can send it back later that afternoon, that needs to be good enough. Your client... Or your employer does not need to keep tabs on you and they do not need to know that you're working the exact same way that their in-house employees do. You are not an in-house employee. Part of this is you're doing the job a different way. And if you're getting the results, that has to be good enough. So don't let anyone dictate your hours. You set them up. And when the hours are done, don't, you know, don't be answering questions and don't, don't waste your own time, you know, when, when you're supposed to unwind and decompress for the next day. If you want to be fresh the next day, take some time off, you know, have a well-defined day and night and all that push back on in-person meetings. This is something I wish I had done more of when I was last a remote employee. You're either a remote worker or you're not. Again, this, this becomes an emotional thing. Like if your manager or your client wants you in-house or, well, let's just meet at a restaurant and let's hang out that way. Like that, that's an emotional thing. I've, I've had clients before where I, I felt like they did that because that was the only way to force themselves to work. Neither of those things should be your problem. I, w- I would push back on the in-person thing because that's still clinging to like the nothing's getting done if I can't see this person. And you need to fight that instinct every chance you get. So, you know, for me, it was easy because I, I would say like, you know, I, I am working on this. You've got my full attention, but my kid is home or, you know, my, Uh, I'm expecting a delivery like there were always reasons that I could not come meet you at uh, Starbucks and have a four to five hour meeting or even a one hour meeting. Like it's not necessary like that person needs to take the time to decide what they want to say or what they want to ask, they need to do the work. When you let people convince you to attend a meeting or a conference or sit in on a call, basically they're excusing themselves from doing the work ahead of time they want to get you on the phone and just sort of talk at you and stumble around and find their own thoughts and figure out the words to say and stuff like figure that crap out. Send me an email, send me a series of instant messages, whatever you have to do. I need to be working during that time. I'm, I'm very clear with people. Uh, if, if they're monopolizing my time and, and then they have the audacity to ask me, when's this thing going to be done? I will tell them straight up like depending on when I get back to my desk 3 hours from then an hour of this could have been done already you know we meetings are so bad almost no one runs an effective meeting and i know they that's something you can hear discussed in articles and Books and stuff. People are aware of this issue, but no one ever gets any better. People are very bad at running effective, productive meetings. So most of the time, most of the people are doing nothing and they're just sitting around wishing they were somewhere else. I don't ever want to have a person in a room with me and keep them captive, making them wish that they were somewhere else. So again, I really suggest don't, I mean, don't get fired over it. Don't, don't let it cost you money, but I would push back on in-person meetings if in fact, you're working remotely or freelance. If you're a freelancer, I recommend finding ways not to commit to a whole project. And there are a couple of reasons for that. If you do Upwork, which a lot of people do, like if they're freelancers, use their option to set up milestones. I always used to use that in my proposals. Like I would say, here's what we'll do in the first milestone. Then we can meet and discuss what we want to put in the next one. Uh, i'll i'll come up with an estimate accordingly that'll be part of it the reason i say this is because you're never going to know how you and a client work together until you're working together you can know who the person is you can know what the work is going to be like but stuff's going to come up you weren't expecting uh, habits attitudes personalities it's it's going it's going to take on a a shape that you couldn't have anticipated once you get started. So I strongly suggest doing that because I have ended up discontinuing several projects with people because, you know, they couldn't decide on the scope of the project. They, uh, they would keep making changes. They decided they didn't want the thing. And if you're stuck in a contract for a full project, you're kind of opening yourself up to certain risks and it's not, that's not great. So I suggest setting up milestones for a project billing each for each one. And don't, don't be afraid to back out of a project. That's something I got good at. Like I had a very good track record of finishing projects and, uh, you know, satisfying clients. But I also had some where we had issues right away. Like I I was part of a game project for somebody and I won't give away too much information about this person, but they wanted a simulator game created based on real world data and it involved maps of a certain kind and they didn't have access like they didn't have rights to use the maps they wanted to use. They didn't. Have, they, they were using vehicles from like real manufacturers and they were like, you let us worry about that. And I'm like, yeah, but uh, the end of this project is going to get real dicey. And I ended up backing out on it. Uh, we, we got to a certain milestone and I just said, Hey, I'm, I'm moving on to other stuff. It's, it's not a big deal. I I said, I'll be happy to stay on. And, um, you know, obviously I'm going to turn over all the work I did for you, the, the unity project, all the stuff. I'll be happy to walk a new developer through it. I'm willing to do that. And they were like, no, we're going to wait till you're available. And I said, well, I'm trying to make clear, like I'm, I'm not anticipating having more availability for this project. And like, Oh, it's okay. We're going to wait. Okay, well, they're still waiting. It's been years (laughs) just because, like, I knew we weren't a good match. I knew that wasn't a good project once we got into the thick of it. And if I had signed a contract that said I'm going to, you know, create a viable product that they can take to the marketplace, that would have been a mess. They wanted me to do something they weren't really allowed to do. They didn't understand it when I talked to them about it. They're like, "Oh, it's okay. We're going to talk to those people, and those people were giant corporations who would never agree to any of this." You know, there was there was no good reason for the <laughs> for the mess, but it was a mess. I heard something move across the room. We'll see what happens with that. Finally, develop the skill of handling scope creep and uh, changes to the project. So, if you're not familiar with the concept of scope creep. If you start a project with somebody and you say, we're going to make a game together, it's going to be played this way, and uh, this is the list of features. That list of features is your scope. That's the scope of the project. When people say scope creep, it means, say you're starting to work on this game, and they come back to you the next day and go, you know what? We thought of this one other feature, and we know the contract is signed, and we know your hourly rate is set, and we know the deadline is on the calendar, but we really need to have... This one last feature, so so go ahead and and write that down. We'll expect that on the uh, deadline date. That is scope creep, and you have to shut it down immediately, early and often. Do not let people get used to pushing scope creep on you, because you will screw yourself. You will allow them to prevent you from succeeding, and uh, you'll open yourself up to all manner of bad things. So... It's it's natural like clients are not good at anticipating their own needs. It's hard for you to fully anticipate their needs because, you know, you don't have access to their brain and it, especially if they're new to this kind of thing, like they just won't be ready to put together good project specs. Like it's just you have to anticipate the, the problem is so say you're setting up a milestone project like I suggest here that becomes very easy. They come to you with another feature and you go Well, that'll have to go into the next milestone. And usually they're cool with that because that gives them a break. They don't have to think about that for a little bit. You write it down somewhere in a design document, that kind of thing, and you move on. And it just goes into the next one and you factor that in and bump up the price for the next milestone. No problem. Sometimes it's something that conflicts with something that's already going on. That becomes harder. You have to decide whether you want to continue with that milestone whether they want to continue with that milestone, try to adjust course afterwards, or if they want to stop the current milestone completely. So if you guys both agree that you're going to stop the current milestone, they do have to pay you for the work you've already done. That's a big one. I don't care if it's been two hours on day one. They've got to pay you for that. Or they're just breaching their contract. Now they're saying they don't want the thing that they signed to to pay for. They've got to pay you for that. So if it's if it's a... Project breaking change, uh, just, just shut the milestone down. Say, okay, you guys loan me for, uh, half a day on day one, or I don't, I don't care how long it is. They've got to pay you for the work you did. And then, you know, if things are still amicable, you can decide on what to do next. You set up a new milestone. You can do whatever. But the, the problem is like when, when projects start changing, you have to let it hurt the client, not you. And I know that doesn't sound good. But it's the it's a problem that the client created by not anticipating their own needs. I will say this, you need to help them avoid that by really trying to help get things fleshed out correctly and on paper before the milestone starts. Like that has to be uh this is this is really pretty basic software development lifecycle stuff, uh planning. If you need to be involved in the planning process up front so that you make sure they know what they need and they know what goes into it and expectations are set correctly. That's when to do it. Not during status meetings and stuff where they, where they get you on the phone. And honestly, that's when a lot of these changes pop up too. If they get you on a long conference call, they're going to start bouncing stuff off like, Oh, well, could you do this? Like, yeah, I could do that if you had put it in the contract. Yes, I could have done that. So that's all to say handle scope creep appropriately. By basically by shutting it down, anticipate needs, document needs, and put needs in the contract or they just don't get met. That's about it. Uh, stuff like this will help you be more successful. It'll help you enjoy freelance work. You know, it'll, it'll keep you sane. Like freelancing is tough. You typically make a little less. You have to do more projects to make the same amount of money. Uh, but the, the freedom you can create for yourself and the the comfort of your own home and, you know, just just the lifestyle changes you get to make, they're very much worth it if you can do it. Not everybody can, but if you're doing remote work or freelancing, those are my suggestions uh, for that. I thought this was an interesting topic for, for it to come up on Twitter. I was glad to uh, take part in that conversation. If you are a freelancer or remote worker, I would love to hear advice you have. I'll be happy to pass it out to the people I talk to. Uh, let me know how you enjoy it. Whether you've been successful, I love talking about this stuff. Catch me on Twitter. That's something I'm always happy to discuss. That's where I'm going to knock it off for this episode. Before we go, little update on upcoming guests. We're still going to be talking to somebody from Gearbox pretty soon, I do believe, unless something goes wrong. Our Patreon community has been on a little bit of a VR kick lately. We've been talking VR stuff there. Uh, I just did a a timed exclusive feature on getting started in Oculus Quest development. So I was thinking it would be cool to have a VR expert on so we could talk about some of the industry stuff that just got announced, things that we can look forward to. And I have contacted one of my Twitter colleagues who uh, sounded very enthusiastic about the idea. So later this month, I think we're going to get to do a VR intensive episode and I'm very excited about that because I'm I'm all in on VR stuff right now since I got the quest I am nuts about it some of you have different headsets and stuff I've some of my freelancing work has been with a local VR startup uh, studio in the area here in St. Louis and I love this stuff so I love talking about it and we'll be doing some of that soon. If you enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, we would love to have you subscribe, review it on iTunes, tell a friend, share it around, help us get the word out so we can do more of this stuff and I can spend more time on it. Contact us. Let us know what topics you're interested in. I love making this a show that you want to listen to because uh, otherwise it's just me talking to a microphone. Check out show notes at codewriteplay.com and uh, check out our Patreon community at patreon.com slash We'll be back with more fun stuff on Thursday. In the meantime, keep playing, keep working hard. We'll talk to you soon.